This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Sustaining Voices podcast, where Sourcing Journal provides lively discussions about the creative innovations, scalable solutions, and forward-thinking initiatives that are spinning sustainability intent into action. This podcast series is made possible by Cotton Incorporated, a not-for-profit company funded by U.S. cotton producers and importers, and whose mission is to increase the demand and profitability of cotton. Discover what cotton can do. In November 2019, Marco Bizzari, president and CEO of Gucci, threw down the gauntlet. He told his fellow fashion bosses that their individual efforts to reduce their carbon emissions, in line with the 2016 Paris Agreement, was not enough to, quote, deliver rapid and concrete positive impacts right now for our natural world and for our climate, end quote. The fashion industry is responsible for anywhere between 4 to 10 percent of the world's carbon emissions, depending on the source. But too much, no matter which way you look at it. Gucci had just declared itself the world's first carbon-neutral luxury house. Bizarre now wants other companies to follow suit. I'm Jasmine Malik Chua, sustainability reporter at Sourcing Journal. And today we'll be looking at the carbon-neutral label, what it means and the role it might play in promoting a planet-friendlier fashion industry. I'm joined by Pauline Optebeck who engages with the apparel sector for the Carbon Trust, a UK-based organization that helps businesses, governments, and the public sector deliver carbon savings, and Saskia van Ghent, head of sustainability at Rothy's, a San Francisco brand that uses recycled plastic bottles and 3D knitting technologies to create its minimal waste footwear and accessories. Thank you both for being here, Pauline and Saskia. Pauline, we hear a lot of terms being tossed out. Carbon neutral, carbon negative, climate positive. Do they essentially refer to the same thing? That's a very good question. It is a confusing landscape. Um, They are essentially variations on the same theme. So carbon neutrality is the most established um, of, of those terms. It's grounded in a lot of certifications. And it essentially means that it's a condition that either an organization or a specific location or a product can achieve in which there's no net increase in emissions of greenhouse gases during a um, defined time period. Whereas uh, carbon positive and carbon negative ironically mean the same thing um, and they go a step further than carbon neutral and essentially they offset or, or are 
offset more uh, emissions than uh, simply neutralizing them. So it's kind of going beyond the emissions associated with an organization or a product. And then more recently, we also have the term of net zero, which a lot of companies are um, committing to, which goes another further step, which essentially is defined as an organization that's committed to reducing its emissions along with the Paris Agreement. So on a 1.5 degree reduction pathway, and then uh, removing the residual uh, emissions with greenhouse gas removals at a specified date. Right. Yeah, definitely a lot to digest. I know that carbon neutral declarations have ramped up over the past couple of years. H&M wants to become climate positive by 2040. The G7 Fashion Pact, a coalition of 150 brands from Adidas to Prada, have pledged to collectively achieve net zero emissions by 2050. And Allbirds slapped a carbon tax on itself to neutralize its own footprint. Saskia, when did simply declaring yourself a sustainable brand become no longer enough? <laughs> yeah, good question. The I think carbon neutral declarations are in part a response to the urgency of climate change, um, but also the increased awareness around fashion's footprint. And you mentioned that in the, in the introduction that we're seeing the carbon footprint of fashion itself is enormous. And in the past, I think companies could be wasteful because there was no reason for them not to be. The awareness was low, but now both consumers and companies themselves are becoming much more aware of fashion's footprint. I think with that awareness, there's new ways for brands to increase their sustainability across the board and, and really walk the walk, not just about carbon, but also what's in the clothes we make, who's making them. Uh, that's one reason that Rothy's takes a whole brand approach to sustainability so that we can embed people and planet into every decision that we make. It's not um, just about one attribute. But coming back to the carbon commitments, I think the one reason that they're forefront is because carbon can be a currency of sustainability. Brands can measure their efforts to use recycled materials, reduce transportation miles, use renewable energy in terms of CO2. So being able to have that tangible, trackable metric and now enables those brands to plan next steps, celebrate small victories and work towards an ongoing goal. So you see a lot of the efforts across a brand being translated into carbon um, and kind of making it easier to make those commitments. Pauline, we've seen quite a range of commitments. In your opinion, are most of these timelines reasonable or not ambitious enough, especially since the fashion industry keeps growing every year? So many of these timelines that company have set kind of go out to 2030, 2040, um, and particularly the 2030 deadlines are very much in line with climate modeling. So essentially scientists have calculated that in the next 10 years is really when we need to focus our action and, and really ramp up efforts. Um, so kind of pursuing a really ambitious decarbonization process in the next 10 years and kind of recognizing by then um, you want to have achieved a lot of reduction but there might be, I don't know, a gap in technology to really take it to the next level to then be carbon neutral or carbon negative or net zero by that time um, is very much in line with the kind of projected models for the world and also for this sector. The really important thing is that by 2030, in order to limit global warming, we really, as, as a world and as a sector, need to stop reducing our emissions year on year. So what this means for the fashion sector, which, as you said, is growing rapidly, is that growth has to be decoupled from emissions. So 
what this means is, you know, naturally businesses want to continue pursuing economic growth, but that has to essentially be detached from what we have seen previously, which is an increase in emissions that follows along with that. So that's why a lot of these targets that companies have set um, are really focusing on thing, business model innovation. So we've seen a plethora of activity even just in the past few months with um, rental models springing up, uh, most recently the kind of Janney and Levi's collaboration. And it's really kind of rethinking those business models uh, along the lines of a decarbonization pathway with that end target in mind um, that's really going to make sure that that um, ambition is maintained. Yeah, absolutely. Saskia, from your point of view, where does most of a brand's carbon emissions come from and therefore create the biggest challenge? For almost every physical product that is made, whether it's carpet or iPhones or clothing or shoes, the biggest part of a company's carbon footprint will come from the materials that it's using and its supply chain. Uh, I know you asked about the challenges with that, but there are also opportunities since brands are the ones who are responsible for designing their products. So companies can reduce their direct material footprint by using recycled materials, for example, which can have uh, up to 70% lower footprint than using virgin materials. And also industry-wide, we're seeing a lot more options around sustainable materials, everything from repurposed plastic to algae, um, which with Rothy's is using. And The other thing that is also within our control as brands is we can design products for longevity and extend their life, which ultimately will also have a carbon benefit associated with the materials and the products. And it's much more scalable to look at where you can make those swaps or improve efficiency within the product because those benefits will be magnified as you grow. But to speak a bit to the complexity of it, when it comes to the supply chain, the main challenges are coming from a complex network of companies who are touching the materials that brands are using to make their products. So cotton, for example, you start with a farm and then it gets spun and woven and dyed before it's cut and sewn. So there could be easily six different entities that are touching the product before it gets into the brand's hands. So you can imagine that how do you leverage that complex supply chain to influence the carbon footprint of all those different steps. Um, One thing that Rothy's does that's a little bit different is owning our entire supply chain, including our factory in Dongwon, China. And we believe that this type of ownership for the whole brand at scale uh, enables us to prioritize sustainability and really influence that at every step. So um, enables things like on-demand production for our our, um, products and um, bringing efficiency into how do we manufacture. So there's a little bit more control that we bring to the supply chain, um, which allows us to avoid some of those complexities that might exist um, within other brands. Yeah, I know there are various methods of achieving carbon neutrality. Uh, Gucci describes a hierarchy of mitigation that starts with avoiding and reducing emissions and then offsetting whatever is left by investing in green power or reforestation projects. Pauline, is this the general tack that companies take? Yes, absolutely. And it's the one that should be pursued. The, the most important thing as a business um, is really to, to focus on reducing your emissions. So whether you know that's uh, 
many of the things that Saskia has described or, you know, pursuing different business models, that really, you know, needs to be the foundation of any carbon neutral strategy. Naturally, there are limits to what can be achieved today. Uh, there's lots of, you know, technologies that are um, beginning to, to develop at scale. Recycling, you know, is really not where, where it needs to be to really fully develop a circular economy. So I think this strategy of a hierarchy of mitigation is really a recognition that, you know, we want to do as much as we can do today, recognizing um, that there is going to be this kind of technology gap and feasibility gap. And to to kind of act upon that, to fill that gap, um, pursuing a carbon neutral strategy is a really prudent way of doing that in the meantime. I know there's some criticism that brands are u- that use offsets are paying to pollute. Is this something that's a concern? So I think this was definitely a criticism that was waged correctly and heavily um, sort of earlier on in, in the years of sustainability, so to speak. So kind of 10 to 20 years ago, I think the kind of paying to pollute was an active strategy that um, globally companies in, in many sectors were pursuing. But I think the way that companies approach carbon neutrality today is quite different to that. And I think on the whole, especially in this sector, companies really do understand the impact that they have. And also, you know, an understanding that their business needs to innovate when it comes to sustainability and climate change in order to survive as a business. Consumers are asking for this. Investors are asking for this. So I think a strategy of carbon neutrality is really a demonstration when done correctly that a company is committed to reducing its emissions, neutralizing what's left over and you know, displaying that message to its stakeholders. So I think you know, this concern of whether a company is paying to pollute is really only important when a company is not demonstrating any other action. So if it is just offsetting, uh, paying to offset its emissions, and there's you know no visible action on behalf of the brand to really innovate uh, from a material level, from logistics, from its own operations, then you you know you really should question what a carbon neutrality claim means, and that's why it's really important for brands to be transparent about their carbon neutrality journey and to tell that story of what they are doing uh, to innovate and, and reduce their emissions alongside those carbon neutrality efforts. Saskia, do companies that say they are or want to be carbon neutral usually distinguish between their own operations and the rest of their supply chain, which I imagine would be more difficult to track and control? And is that latter half where most of the challenge lies? Yeah, I think it's as a consumer and a customer, it's important to look closely at the claims or um, statements that companies are making to understand the scope of of what those claims um, are addressing. Is it the full emissions of a company, which would include the direct emissions? Sometimes those are called scope one and scope two emissions if you're in the sustainability world, which are really coming from your own operations. Whereas um, I think, as I mentioned before, the scope three emissions, which are around the materials that you're buying and your supply chain, tend to be the largest part of a, especially a product company's emissions. So we definitely believe that including those emissions in your carbon efforts uh, is important. Otherwise, you're ignoring what is probably the biggest piece of the pie. The industry is waking up to this, and there are a number of useful tools like the Hig Index will help that will help you uh, track and calculate your supply chain emissions. So thankful that the industry has come quite a long way. 
And this is also where I think there's a role for partnerships across brands uh, through some of these organizations that can work together to shine a light deeper into the supply chain where there may be shared networks of suppliers and uh, we can collectively hold those suppliers uh, responsible for reducing their emissions. I've also noticed a trend where a product or material might get the carbon neutral label first rather than the entire supply chain. The North Face, for instance, uses climate beneficial wool. Is this a less intimidating approach for brands? Well, reducing our carbon footprints has to be a company-wide initiative, and we've talked about some of the ways to do that across the whole company, and really it should be measured and improved on at every level. I think sometimes starting with a specific material or a product is a good way to just dip your toe and and make some progress as long as it's the first step and not the end of the journey. One way that I've thought about it is that's a way to kind of prototype the experience of achieving carbon neutrality. So if you're applying those sustainability practices to one material type or one product from start to finish, then ultimately you can use that as a building block for the whole company and extend those practices to new materials or product lines. So I think it should be built on a really strong foundation of looking where those biggest opportunities are throughout your materials. So using recycled materials, as I mentioned, investing in renewable energy, reforestation projects. Um, So I think ultimately the brands that will start small, they should think about how they can build and learn upon that um, further into their supply chain. Yeah, here's another question for you, Saskia. How important is it for brands to publicly talk about their carbon impact? And is the term carbon neutral helpful or confusing to consumers? It's very important for companies to talk about efforts to mitigate carbon footprints and to take action on climate change. We've talked about the urgency and uh, really having about a decade to act on climate. So I think brands and apparel companies knowing that we're uh, fashion is a big part of the carbon emissions. We, we do need to be taking action and talking about this. I think one thing we need to do better beyond just the labels of carbon neutral or talking about um, carbon negative, carbon positive, is going deeper and explaining and demonstrating the practices themselves. So there is so much confusing vocabulary, not just about carbon footprints, but sustainability is kind of infamous for having confusing vocabulary. So I think part of how brands can educate the consumer is by explaining what those practices are um, rather than just giving a, a label or quick claim. So as an industry, we can collectively build that fluency on climate change by telling the full story of how we're d- reducing our, our footprint. Yeah. Pauline, what else do fashion businesses and consumers need to know about carbon neutrality, both as a concept and as a strategy? Um, I think the main thing is that it is, you know, part of a wider strategy. So I think, you know, as, as Saskia just alluded to, it's it's not carbon is also not the only kind of element um, of sustainability as it relates to the apparel sector. And even carbon neutrality is just one element of, of the climate change impact that a brand has. But I think for consumers and brands alike, it's really important to kind of do your research um, ahead of developing such a strategy. If if you are you know, taking it from the business perspective to understand when you're setting these goals, really, how do you aim to achieve them and how do you aim to develop those annual reductions and engage in projects with your supply chain to really make sure that you're on track um, to have that annual uh, reduction. And then when it comes to consumers, again, when you are doing research on a brand and you know they've made a carbon neutrality claim, 
you know, don't just take it at face value. You know, many brands like Rothy's have a really fascinating story to tell alongside their carbon neutrality journey and all the great innovations that they've kind of introduced into their product and to, you know, really be curious as a consumer, what does carbon neutrality mean? What are, you know, the companies doing behind the scenes that make that product carbon neutral? Um, And, you know, where perhaps they aren't being transparent, I think it's important for the consumer to, you know, push the brand. If, If it's not clear what that means, it's important to make your kind of request known and push them to be more transparent about what they're doing. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, carbon neutrality is not kind of an end game in and of itself. It is a continuously evolving process where companies move to reduce their emissions year on year, um, really driving change throughout their supply chains, but also, you know, changing the way that we interact with our um, apparel when it comes to the use and the end of life. Um, and that kind of business change is really what we need to focus on. And carbon neutrality is an important um, component on that. Um, and yeah, I just think generally, you know, it's it's a really exciting move that the, the industry is taking to set these long-term goals and to develop all the strategies that underpin that. So I think the main thing is, is you know, really just researching, being curious um, and yeah, a lot of collaboration as well um, within the sector itself to, to help share all of that knowledge um, and everyone to get to their carbon neutrality goals quicker even. Saskia, did you have anything else that you wanted to add? Well, I loved uh, Pauline referencing being curious. I think that's so important, both from a brand perspective to uh, think about the creativity that we can bring to such a global problem. And also from the customer side, really being selective around what brands they support and uh, holding brands responsible for changing our practices and and really supporting the brands that they believe in. So um, just wanted to echo that curiosity is such an important tool that we can use in solving this problem. Great. Thank you both for joining us today. This podcast episode is a companion to Sustaining Voices, which Sourcing Journal created in collaboration with Cotton Incorporated, as a celebration of the efforts the apparel industry is making towards securing a more environmentally responsible future through creative innovations, scalable solutions, and forward-thinking initiatives that are spinning intent into action. Learn more at sustainingvoices.com.